It's Monday morning, everyone. Welcome back to Kafaru Cast. I have come out of the woods for a few days. Um, pretty excited about that. Not really. Those are the applause for me coming back. And I got this new board thing. So I've got uh, my good buddy Cody Greenwood with Trad Lab on the other line. What's going on? Are you parked on the side of the road, dude? Uh, we're, we're in Oklahoma right now at our at our parents' house, parked in their driveway. We stayed here overnight before we head back to Kansas City. Oh, gotcha. You got your wife with you? Yeah. She's a trooper. Yeah, she went with me on the hunting trip. She was awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's good. Well, cool. Well, um, what we're going to talk about today, I just did the uh, the podcast on the uh, compound bow review, which was probably a bit anticlimactic because all the bows are really good. They don't really make a bad compound bow. I kind of gave my two cents of the one I liked the most and some of the goods and bads of each, but I have been uh, hounded uh, for the last six months to do one on on stick bows, on recurves. I, I'm not going to do one on long bows because I don't shoot them, but on the uh, the different custom uh, wood bows that I've shot as well as the, uh, the ILF rigs I've shot, the different limbs, and I've got a decent amount of experience with some of this stuff, but uh, I got Cody on here because he's got a pile of experience testing different bows and can kind of throw some different insight. Uh, I found that actually almost everything – you and I have talked about uh, doing my redneck testing and your more advanced testing. I don't know that we've really ever been off on anything that I can remember. Do you? No, it's usually a really good pair because we don't talk about it. And I'll get findings or you'll get findings, and then we end up discussing it. And it's a, always a great parallel path because when you're not interacting with one another and you're testing independently and then you land on the same thing, your degree of belief that you've, you've got something solid goes up. So that's always, you've always been a good resource for that. And we usually land on very similar areas. Yeah. And, and the one thing that um, people need to understand before we do this and get butt hurt and Cody and I get more messages is uh, uh, what, when I have a personal opinion uh, and we talk about this, I will say it is my, it's superstition. It's personal opinion. I just feel confident with it. Uh, and then there's and then there's other things that are more or less fact. Um, you know, and Cody and I will both make sure as we're talking about different things that, uh, and Co- I'm worse than this than Cody. Like there's certain things that I'm just like it's lucky. I'm going to keep using it. I don't. I don't care. Um, that's not really something you want to, uh, you know right into the bank with that. That's just my personal preference. There are certain things that I'll use because they have been lucky for me. And I know damn good and well, there's probably a better option out there. But what we're going to talk about right now is ILF bows, the different limbs, the pros and cons to those custom wood bows, um, you know, the different builds of those uh, and what we think are some of the better bows on the market, the better options of each of those some of the different limb options and things to think about on, um, you know, of that nature. So out of the gate, before I kind of throw my two cents on, on custom bows, uh, Cody, what have you found out to be, let's say, the top three custom bows as far as just general build, stability, things of that nature? So you're talking about characteristics right now or brands? Uh, brands. Um, I guess that's confounded with characteristics. So uh, yeah, for me, good, it's, good point. <laughs> uh, it's always um, Tolkien. Black Widow, uh, Bob Lee are always uh, performing at the top, and I recently got into Winger. Winger has a lot of those similar characteristics. Um, Toki's kind of, if you lined them all up, Toki looks different than the other three that I named, 
and Toki just gets up there with really precise tillering and good, strong craftsmanship. They're one of the few wood bows you can run a self-leveling laser from tip to tip and take it from from static brace to full draw and not see a lot of lateral movement. But uh, they don't have the deflex of the mass or the center shot. Right, and uh, the Widow I found to do the same thing. I'm pretty sure you and I'm using a Hilti self-leveling laser level and does the same principle from construction. Um, it does the same thing you're talking about. I just shoot a pretty simple you just shoot a, a beam straight up the center of your riser uh to, or this is how i did it straight up the center of the limb um and then i have tension on the uh the shooting machine as i crank that bad boy back you can watch uh compounds are no different if there you get deflection in the riser when you when you go to full draw if there's if if you're still shooting center to center on the riser and center to center on the limb tips as it's going back to full draw uh, is that more or less what you did? Yep, that's exactly what I do. And uh, I also measure tiller at two or three different places through that draw to see how the bow is changing. And I found a correlation with good, consistent tillering and, and the sound of the bow. But, yeah, that's that's what I do with the self-leveling laser. Gotcha. So, um, I, you know, I haven't messed with Tolkies. I've only heard great stuff about them. I, I would say Widow. You know, I just fit better in a widow, uh, but I, I would say that wingered ibex um, is right behind. I mean, I, I really enjoyed shooting that bow, and I, I like G10. I like a heavier mass weight, and I also like that it's, um, you know, harder than woodpecker lips. So I, I'm a big fan of, of that, and I'm actually, Widow is building me a G10 riser uh, right now, a little bit custom. Whether or not they're going to come out with that, I don't I don't know, but I, I, I do like G10. Uh, and, it, and it is just about bomb-proof. Now, Bob Lee, they make a great bow. The only issues I've had with Bob Lee is I had a little bit of stacking in the limbs. Uh, and I don't know, have you found that? Yeah, they're a little tighter. I had uh, Blake's bow for a short period of time. I haven't purchased a Bob Lee to run it through the ringer, but uh, it shot really good. And um, I like it. It's, of course, it's got deflex. It has mass. But they do run a bit tighter in the draw force curve in the back five inches than, say, like a Widow. A Widow's going to stay consistent. They're really consistent. Actually, even when you pit Widow against Widow in terms of different lengths, I have a PMA, I have a PA, I have a KB that should be here in a week or two, and they're two pounds per inch, really smooth. They don't break three three pounds until you're getting into that 31-inch uh, draw space. So they're really consistent from bow to bow. Right, and, you know, the, the one thing while we're talking about, you know, custom bows, you have the what's the word nostalgia the uh you know you get to you get to pick the colors you get to pick uh you know you kind of make it your own bow it's handcrafted to a certain degree uh, there's some there's some tools involved in that shit but um what you don't get is you don't get uh, uh generally you don't get the adjustability in weight in the limbs the limbs are the limbs where with an ilf you get all the adjustability in the world and if, if you're really going for that traditional shooting off the shelf, um, you know, the Fred Bear thing, uh, by all means, uh, that, that's a great route to go. It's just not as, um, well, let's just face it, you shoot an elevated rest, <laughs> you're going to shoot yeah. better groups. And so, especially under pressure. Yeah, there, there's, there's less contact. Um, they're more forgiving. And I, I remember when I, um, we first came out with the trad veins, 
I was shooting off the shelf, um, and I had guys ask me how they work coming off a rest. So I just switched over to uh, put some effort into shooting off an elevated rest. And I'm like, well, hell, I'm not going back. I mean, the vein shot fine enough off the shelf, but I, I mean, there I was way more consistent uh, day in and day out off an elevated rest. Now you tried that and you got bashed a little bit. I got a little bit more away with it than you did, but I still got put, you know, poked fun of for shooting an elevated rest. What do you, give us your two cents on an elevated rest and then give us your two cents on why you think people are, some people are so against them. So for me, an elevated, I, I typically run on my metal bows, a T300, that's an AAE T300 and I'll run the shorty plunger or a modified champion AE plunger. And my takeaway on the elevated rest and a plunger and a hunting rig is the liabilities are very clear. When you're dragging, and this actually happened to me on this hunt with Rough Creek um, two nights ago, when you're pulling your bow up a tree and it gets hung up in the cedar, that arm can get bent, right? Things can happen. Uh, I carry two extra in my Arrowmaster quiver in that little pocket, so I'm, I'm covered. Um, having said that, the, the reliability you get on a, on a bad release when you're under pressure goes up significantly. A shot that you would make and you go, oh, that's a bad shot, and you look down range and it, and it still went where it should go, uh, that's what it's all about. It's about getting you that clearance that um, that you also need. And, you know, I'm doing that arrow study that I'm probably three-quarters through, and there's no doubt arrow flight is key, right? And I don't think anybody can argue that. Uh, Ashby was spot on there, and... It just makes sense to me that a raised rest gives you that clean arrow flight. And you can test this at home by just sticking one on and shoot some bear shafts and then shoot off your shelf and shoot bear shafts and, and look at the consistency, not the change in tune, but the consistency within each end that you shoot. And it's it's a very significant gain in consistency and forgiveness. And I think a lot of people, the second part of the question is, why do people not like it? I think you've got people that want to, they tell me they want to keep their bows simple. Um, as a quality engineer, I can tell you your laminations in your bow have a much higher probability of failing than a stick-on rest. Much higher uh, probability of failing. So I, I don't worry about that. But a lot of people want to shoot off the shelf because they don't want to worry about a bend. And that, that does make sense. Uh, or because of the nostalgia. And that makes sense. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I have I like shooting my wood bows and I think it's important to point out, because we talked about mass a little bit, and I'm sure we're going to get into deflex a lot, but not all shelves are are, the, are equal. You pick up a bear bow, bear archery traditional bow, you get that flat, wide, long shelf with 90-degree turn. You pick up a black widow, you get a really tight radius shelf that's much, much more forgiving. So shooting off a shelf like a widow versus a bear takedown, is it, there's a night and day difference. And you can modify them with toothpicks, shoe glue, and leather, but... Let me let me dive in a little bit on that, because I tried to explain it before, and people weren't digging what I'm shoveling. So I like my pivot point to be straight above the throat of my grip, where my arrow pivots. Now, on certain types of bows, and I've started looking at these a lot about two years ago, some people have that pivot point far in front of that, some bow manufacturers, and that makes for a very critical bow. You need that pivot point generally to be directly above the throat. That's generally where you want it, directly above the throat uh, in line with basically where your where your hand is or the throat of your grip. Um, when you have that elongated shelf that's flat, you have more contact 
at all times with the arrow where you have that slightly radiused, uh, gradually radiused one pivot point, you have less of your arrow contacting uh, the riser. Uh, uh, and, and so if you don't have a bow that has that pivot point above the throat of your grip and you're wondering why the hell you can't get it to tune or it's really uh, torquey or, or sensitive, uh, that can be the number one culprit. I, I, now that's my findings. I don't know, Cody. Do you agree with that? Is that have you found that? Yeah, I I agree with that completely. And I think when you hear some people say this bow just doesn't shoot for me or this bow does shoot for me, I believe it's because the natural pivot point of that wood bow lines up with uh, where they're applying pressure into the into the bow. And um, when it doesn't, I don't know if a lot of people aren't going to be old enough to remember remember overdraws in the compound days in the nineties. Uh, maybe even late 80s, early 90s, but you shoot an overdraw, and it's just an exaggerated version of what we're talking about, where you you get a really, really critical bow to shoot. Yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, different things, obviously, to pay attention to. And you get, you know, when you're talking about the different wood bows, you know, with an ILF, you can adjust this. With a wood bow, the tiller you've got is the tiller you've got. And for those who don't know tiller, uh, easiest way to explain it is just the limb pocket to, well, let's say where the riser meets the limb, measure that to the string uh, straight out at a 90 degree angle. And you've got positive tiller, negative tiller, and even tiller. And so I always have my bow set up with an even tiller and I adjust the knock point um, from there to get my tune. Some bowyers, those tiller can be quite a bit different. Uh, Cody, you want to yeah. dive in with that a little bit? Tiller, and if you're a comp, because you have a large compound audience, uh, recurve people playing with tillers like time and cams on a compound, really. Um, it's, it's, as a matter of fact, I, a method I use for, for looking at tillers is something I stole off of a compound tuning video where I'll take a, a heavier washer on a string and I put it in the groove next to the, the knock tips of each limb and I'll draw it back to see the timing of how the limbs are opening up and you can see those washers hopefully falling at the same time. If you're drawing and they're not falling at the same time, your limbs are out of time. And you'll end up with weird knock high, knock low, and you can you end up with vibration and a lot of noise. And there's there seems to be a lot of variation in terms of tiller, where you can get a what if you want to play it safe. What I have found, longer bows care less about tiller. So if you're if you're staying 60 inches and above, you can move that knocking point around a lot and not get yourself uh, shooting a critical bow or getting louder. If you're shooting under 60 inches, it's, it's a step function towards criticality in terms of having that knock height very, very at the, at the right spot and having your tiller spot on. One reason I prefer longer bows, one of many reasons, is, is I like to be able to move my knock height up and down, and I can even I'll run a fixed crawl on, a, on, on longer wood bows. But if you, if you start running short, short stuff you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of critical shooting and if you're tuning your ILF and I played with this last year during indoor and I was trying to find a, a, a tiller for a fixed crawl shooting 20 yards indoor if you get those limbs out of time your scores drop dramatically because you, you just the bow's not releasing clean like you like you would expect it to and you get really weird knot travel so I think tiller bows on ILF obviously can be adjusted and you have to adjust them for every limb but on wood bows that's where the craftsmanship and the materials used to build really start showing up i believe 
That's what separates the mom and pop garage builders to, you know, the, the leaves, the widows, you know, the high end, high end group. Yeah. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll get into the ILFs, uh, in more depth here. You know, the, the thing with the ILF is, um, I can throw, you know, whatever sets of limbs, whether, and I've got multiple, the, uh, let's say I can take the Hoyt Velos, the Uka, uh, I call them double X's, the Urbis, which is a, and I don't even know if pronouncing that right, the super curly hunting version. But when I throw those on, I bottom those limbs out and then I start the, when needed, I can add or subtract uh, poundage, the top or the bottom limb, according to the tune and the limb and everything else. It's easy. You, you just back out an Allen wrench and you're good. Where with a wood bow, the 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 boyer himself has got to knock it out of the park or or you're fucked and there's i mean now if you not are not a good shot you may not know initially that your bow may have some issues but later on down the line as you become a better shot or your buddy borrows your bow and he's a better shot if you can't get a knock low or knock high tear let's say out of out of no matter what you do that's generally going to be a tiller problem if your release is clean, unless you're shooting insanely high FOC, and then I don't even want to talk to you because it's too much of a pain. Extremely high FOC can cause knock-high tears that will never come out as well, which is a totally different story. But yeah, Anybody that says otherwise has never tuned the bow. Yeah, that's no shit. I was just screwing around with it because I put 350 grains on the front of one of my arrows I was tuning the other day. I get it to group. But, uh, you know, good, but it was coming out knock high, no matter what I did. And I went all the way up to, you know, one inch, um, you know, uh, knock high on, on my setup. So I went back down to five eights and I literally had to take two cranks, um, off of my limb to even get it remotely close to flying, um, somewhat, you know, parallel knock travel. Dude, that's two cranks off of one limb, which is crazy. And that's because I was up, you know, in that 27%, 26% FOC, and it, it, which is not worth it. So anyway. That's um, probably a whole, a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, the whole yeah. FOC thing, dude, especially as much as you and I have screwed around with it. it, You know, to a certain point, people need to understand with the FOC, there there is good things to heavy point weight. Uh, but when you go to plaid and, and everything, you know, you've gone to a – far off point of the compass of FOC and you're pushing past, in my opinion, 18 to 20%, 21%. That's as high as you need. After that, it becomes a detriment. And I don't know what your findings have been, but that's have been mine. Yeah, it's, it's very similar. And <clears throat> I'm sure it's, that's an entirely standalone podcast on its own. And, but I think we're starting to see the compounders start to move to a higher FOC and it'll really show up there because when you're at those high speeds and you start shooting an imbalanced arrow, um, you're going to have poor arrow flight, but yeah, that, that'll be a self-correcting problem. But yeah, I found, I found the same thing. It makes for a more critical shot, especially if you're shooting off the shelf. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely. So with Tiller, um, you know, on a, on a, on a custom bow and I, and I'm not by any means bashing custom bow makers cause uh, more than most likely, I mean, I, I fit better into a widow. I like widows. I think that when people transfer over to a stick bow, they don't know what they want, and they see a heavy price tag. All the custom bow makers are a really high price tag. Um, and they're like, you know, it's a piece of wood, and there's a string on it, and I don't need to spend that much money. 
Um, to a certain degree, starting out, you don't. When you really start to get anal into tuning and your accuracy is getting better and better and better, on the high-end bows, I don't think you can outshoot the bow. I know you can't. Like the, the bow is going to – you can definitely outshoot some of the lower-end bows, and I, I feel you can. Now, if it's a good – you know, if they knock it out of the park on the build, but an import, uh, improperly or poorly built lower-end bow – you definitely can shoot better than that bow. Now, there's other bows that are lower end in dollar amount that you can't outshoot um, that I that I have found. Sam Sage, some of those are pretty amazing quality for for a two hundred dollar bow. Um, yeah, they they've been a lot of value for the price, that's for sure. But I think it's important to. If I say this all the time, people think I'm uh, anti wood because I'm I like metal risers as well, but. It wasn't four to five years ago. I don't know if you've met Dwayne Martin yet or not, Aaron, but that Dwayne Martin was beating people at IBO national championships with the PSA and wood arrows and, and competing against people with, you know, metal rigs. And it's, you, you can definitely shoot good bows at a very high level. Oh yeah. With without a doubt. And I mean, with, with Dwayne, he shoots, he owns, or as a part owner of CD archery, which I have their one of their WF 19s. Um, I mean, if you're a good shooter, I mean, you're going to be able to do well. But if you're a good shooter with a bad bow, there is just a level you're going to hit, and you can't you can't go any farther if you got a lemon. Um, is there anything I try you- to tell people when they're when they're asking about that? I, I literally have a picture that I keep usually pretty high on my phone of my Tolkien Super D, which is kind of a straight up and down longbow, and then my Widow PA. And I'm like, look for bows that have deflex. And the PA is a really clean profile of, of good, strong deflex. And if you look for designs that have deflex, you've got yourself the very good start of a forgiving bow. Right? You start adding mass to that deflex, and you start adding center shot to that deflex, and radius shelves, and you have yourself a shooter. Um, you know, assuming the the, design, the the craftsmanship is there. But you can look at some designs. I'm sure you can, too. You can look at the risers and go, there's no way I could shoot. I don't have to shoot that bow. I can look at that bow and know that's going to be a critical bow to shoot. You know, if, they, if it's a straight up and down hole, that's going to be difficult to shoot. Yeah. No, without a, without a doubt. Uh, is there anything you want to add to uh, what we've talked about so far on the bows, on the custom bows? Uh, we've covered. I think the other thing that, that people have a lot of questions about, and I'm sure you get a lot of them, especially since you're adding to the skew mix and the confusion is custom grips. It would be a, it would be wrong of us to exit this portion and you not talk about what to look for in a good grip or a bad grip. So if you do that, then I'll follow up with mine. Cause you, I don't have a grip named after me, so I feel like you should go first. I believe I have three then now. Then I, I have three grips named after me. So uh, for me, and, and this is different for everyone, but you are going to be a blueprinting this high risk, low risk, or somewhere in between. Meaning, do you have your, your hands straight up and your wrist extremely low? Or is your wrist more locked out and, and straight coming off of your forearm and in, in, in between? And then you, once you get the, the angle, let's say, I, I guess you could say of, of the grip, um, palm swell, uh, you know, things like that. And, and what you're really looking for is consistency in the grip. If you're gripping your bow different every time, that is going to be a problem. Now, for example, I ordered a Jaeger grip recently, three of them, which ended up being a bit of a clusterfuck, but I ordered a JD3 
grip and I turned that into an AS3 grip because the dimmer grip did not fit my hand. I put it on the belt sander, sanded the shit out of it, and I made my own grip. I have to have a grip. I, I'm looking for, you know, different things. One, no pressure points uh, anywhere, so I'm not getting erratic pressure points on my hand. It needs to be low wrist. I don't want much palm swell, and it needs to be extremely repeatable. It does not matter what grip I like or Cody likes. It matters what you like that is repeatable for you with a few twists and turns aside. I don't like a big, fat, meaty grip. I like more of a compound grip. I like it low wrist, and I don't want a lot of, when I say palm swell to the inside, if you're left hand or you're right handed, so you're gripping it, you know, uh, you know, what your the, the the bow is in your left hand when you're firing. I don't like a lot of swell on the outside or towards my fingers of that grip. It causes the hand, the the bow to pivot out of my hand sporadic, I guess you could say. So, you know, for me, the reason why there's a Snyder grip from a few different bow manufacturers is it caters more to a a compound guy coming over one. To a dude that has gripped a compound their whole life a certain way and isn't used to those big, fat, meaty grip. Uh, Widow has a Snyder grip. Um, I think Wingard's got one as well as uh, Southcock Stalker Stickbows. Uh, and it's just the most repeatable grip for me. Um, go ahead, Cody. Dive in there. Uh, I think the difference between the cooling grip, because you'll get asked this, and the Snyder grip is just that, that relief for that torque that you're talking about. The tooling grip has a really good refined edge, so I know there's going to be questions about that. But before we get into my grip, would you say for the compound folks that are crossing over, would you say grip is more critical with a recurve than it would be from what you're used to as a compound? Yes. I have found that to be true. Yes, without a, you can you can dick the dog pretty good on a compound and still hit the dot. Um, there's there's no way around it, and, and this has been tested. I mean, you you, you want your grip consistent with a compound. But I tell you what, with with a stick bow, what it boils down is if it's you're just shooting off the shelf, for example, especially when you when you go to full draw with a compound, you anchor, measure the distance from your arrow to your cables, for example. Every time you grip that bow a little bit different, it's going to change your tune. The thing with a with a compound is there's a lot of other things, fail safes to um save you a little bit when that when that arrow's coming out of the bow uh especially contact because it's hardly touching anything especially on a drop away now on a stick bow you are um getting full contact shooting off the shelf at all times you're touching the vertical and the horizontal wall and, and the base or or the shelf so each time you change your grip it's exponentially changing your arrow flight um, and I, it sounds like you found the same thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And if you're moving over from compound into trad, just put a multiplier on the significance of grip fit because it's, it's more important with the wood bow than it is on compound. And one thing I think I like that Rod Jenkins has given us is a, an ability to kind of test this. And what he shows us in, in all of his training, whether it's Masters of the Bear Bow or in Roots, He'll tell you to watch your riser when you shoot and make sure it's jumping forward. And a lot of things can affect that. Your alignment can be off and it can affect that. You can pluck the string and you could affect that. But also how you're gripping the, the riser can affect that. And I, like anybody else, I probably have 15 different grips laying around for metal bows. And I'm always looking for, if you have a wood bow, you don't get to change it. So you have to change the way you hold the bow. I look for that 
clean jump forward out of my hand. Because if it's torquing, it'll rotate. And if you're torquing the exact same way every time, that's fine as well, because I know your, your bow always rotates when you shoot. Yep, straight uh, left. That, yeah, you want to be able to do the same thing consistently, and that's how you, if, you're, if you go to a bow shop and you're checking them, you want to shoot it and watch how that bow reacts in your hand. But in terms of my personal preferences, I, I prefer a really consistent left edge so I can place it in my hand whenever I'm hunting and I'm excited and I'm not consciously thinking about it, something that I can feel kind of fit into my hand the exact same way every time. Um, I hunt, oh, well, this year I've hunted all year throughout the summer, and uh, having a grip that can maintain a sweaty hand is, is really important because when you're hunting South Texas in the blinds, everything's going to be soaking wet. And um, for me, the, the important factor is, again, where it places the pressure on my hand. I don't, I don't like to be in the throat of the, the grip. I like, to, I like a low wrist. And whenever you're changing from low wrist to high wrist, it kind of changes the pressure in your hand. And I like a low wrist more than a high wrist, I would say. And I think in general, people with higher anchors prefer lower. I don't know if this is an absolute, but it seems to be higher anchors prefer lower wrist and lower anchors prefer slightly higher wrist grips. But I prefer a lower for sure. Gotcha. And um, when you I'll, – I'll use the grip clicker, for example, from Tom Clum. He has a – it's a palm clicker, basically. And that – Palm clicker, if if you want to find out how inconsistent your grip is, put that bad boy on there and try to get that thing adjusted. Um, now, I'm not saying it's all your grip if you can't get the thing to click correctly, but that was an eye-opener for a lot of people when it's clicking at half draw, it's clicking at three-quarter draw, it's clicking at full draw. You know, that's an inconsistent grip. Um, you know, maybe uh, not. Absolutely right, and the reason, one of the big factors as to why grip is so much more critical on a stick bow than is a compound, you're changing your tiller every time you change the pressure of your grip. Yeah, in some ways you're also changing your drawing. Right. So if you're pulling heavier on the bottom limb or the top limb on each shot, you're, you're, that's going to show up downrange for sure. So that's, that's one reason why I think grip is a, is a big factor that people have to really pay attention to. And when you put when and to make sure people understand this, when you put more heel into the grip, you're actually adding pressure to the bottom limb. When you put less heel in, make sure I'm saying this right, you're evening it out more. But if you've been putting more heel in and you've tuned it that way, and then all of a sudden now there's less heel, it is now out of tune because your upper limb is not firing in in co- in cohesion with your lower limb for the initial tune of having heel in it. And when I say heal, the fatty part of the bottom of your hand. So, and again, you know, I watch guys shoot, and and by no means am I perfect. I got all kinds of problems. But, you know, you watch a guy, you know, shoot, and you watch his hand, and one minute it's open, the next minute it's closed, one minute he's way out, one minute he's way in. Your arrow will never fly. You might get one of those arrows out of four to fly good, but it's not going to be consistent. In the majority of that, there's other issues, obviously, short drawing, long drawing, plucking the string. But if you don't have a good grip, you're really in deep shit. So, anyway. Yeah, it, de- it definitely shows up. But uh, mainly for me, a good low grip that gets the pressure low into my palm because that's consistent. I can relax my hand and let the bow come back into my kind of low wrist forearm bone. And um, I like an edge that I can get it kind of anchored and placed. And... Um, I hate any type of swell on the side. I don't like thumb swells. I, 
I don't like any of that stuff. That that's all torque magnifiers for me. Do you like that JD three grip? Um, or have you seen it? They've got the lifeline coming down it. I think is what they call it. Do you like that style of grip? Right, right. Where you set it right inside the lifeline. Yeah, correct. Do you like that? Yeah, that's that's where I set mine. I spent last. I spent a portion of this year shooting right off the riser. And I found that it actually got me too close to the lifeline, and it got it changed my alignment enough that it was clipping my the string was clipping my nose. So putting a grip back on just gave me that fraction of an inch to get to get my alignment clearance straight. So I always anchor right into that lifeline. Gotcha. And I'm a little bit as as Cody was talking about. I have um, there's no defined edge on the grips that I I use. Um, some people like that, but that is just what I know is repeatable for me. Um, but again, if, if you have issues with repeatability, that lifeline type of a style may be the best thing, you know, for you. Just for me, I, I don't like that definitive edge, but that, that doesn't, don't copy what I do, copy what works best for you. <laughs> I totally agree with that. That's a very personal choice. And that's one reason why, and I'm not going to try to oversell ILF rigs, but one nice thing about an ILF rig is you can, for 40 bucks, you can change the grip and you can find what works for you and then you just tell the bowyer i think on java man I, I literally tell him i like a jaeger medium low and he can he can make a grip on his bow that feels just like that so um i i think that's important to know what you like before you order a 1400 dollars custom wood bow yeah otherwise you're going to be sending it back and changing it and, and again you don't you're going to be able to give the bowyer an idea i'm just more anal than hey i kind of want it like this like i've sent a, a widow when they were doing my grip back three times to get it exactly like I liked it. And then the one time I actually shaved it down myself and then sent it back and then they coated it and, and everything, obviously to, to get it how I wanted it. But I am extremely anal with the grip. I, 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 I like it one way and I, it's difficult. Like predator, I don't know, you know, predator bows, they have a pretty beefy, I can't shoot that bow worth of shit. And I'm sure it's a great bow. I just, that giant massive grip is just not for, for me. And even South's bows, I had to have South whittle his way down for, for my liking. I think that chase is the most variation. And when, when people say, oh, I'm selling this bow and they just got it, they'll typically say the grip just doesn't fit me. And knowing, knowing what works for you, you can look at one with a little bit of experience. You can look at a bow and say, yeah, that, that'll work for me or no, it won't. But yeah, that's one critical aspect of, of wood that I don't think compounders have to deal with. So before we go to ILF rigs, if gun to your head right now, top three to five custom bowyers, uh, what what bows or what what bowyers would you go with? Well, I haven't tested them all, so this will be a bit unfair. But um, obviously, I've, I've got a lot of widows. Um, widows, I'm going to put quality in the mix. This isn't just shootability. So this is shootability. This is they're going to answer your email when you send it to them or your call, and you're going to get what you ordered. You'd be surprised when you start ordering from these mom-and-pop bowyers. You're not going to get the weight you ordered. You're not going to get the length you ordered. There's a lot of errors in our industry that, for some reason, nobody calls out. So quality is, is important to me and customer service, so Widow is always at the top of that list for me. Uh, like I said, you have Winger, which is a you're going to wait a much longer wait time but you're going to get a true custom bow. If you like very specific characteristics, he can build an absolute custom bow for you. I had one built for me, and it's one of the best shooting. It's probably the best shooting non-metal bow I have. And um, when you start getting into the longbow space, Java Man makes a great longbow. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And 
Bob Lee, of course, shares that D-Flex in the mass, and um, I haven't thoroughly tested theirs, but I've run it through some quick paces. I would say the Toki as well. I'm shooting, I'm hunting with their SS long handle, which basically they've added mass to their riser in the long handle, giving me some uh, a forgiving platform. I would say those are going to be your top, from my perspective. If I send someone to them, they're going to get what they ordered, and after they get it, if there's a problem, they're going to be taken care of, and um, it's going to be a shootable platform. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm forgetting a few, but... Well, I would say one stalker south is unbelievable as far as staying in contact with people and in, in talking with them. I've only shot one of his bows. Um, I've had good luck with it. I have no issues. I, I can't go into all the different bows that south makes, but I would say, like... You know, gun to my head right now, first bow I'm grabbing is is a widow. Um, I've had really good luck with those. Um, not too far behind that is definitely going to be the wingered Ibex. That was one of my favorite bows I've ever shot. And to be totally truthful and honest, one of the reasons I don't shoot that is he's 19 months out and I cannot handle the fucking emails from people bugging me to bug him. And that was a huge right. decision maker for me to to not shoot the wingered. Um, it's a, it's a shooter. I had him build a 21 custom Ibex for me and I kid you not, that thing is a shooter and it's, it's probably one of the best shooting non-metal bows I've got. I, I would, I would concur. And, and, you know, shootability wise side by side, which one I shot better between, uh, you know, the widow and the Ibex, um, tough, tough decision. Um, man, like. I don't I don't know what else to say other than in, than Trent builds one badass bow that thing's beefy as shit. Um, it's you know again same with the, same with the widow. I like them both. Um, I just uh, at one time I had kind of planned on shooting tournaments with that wingard. I shot it so well. It was a sixty four inch ibex and hunting with uh, the widow, and I just got to the point I was getting hounded by so many people of can you get a hold of Trent and speed my bow up? And it's like, dude, the, the lead time's the lead time. Like, there's nothing I, I can never, do. I, yeah, I, I would never do that. Then you're disrespecting other customers that are waiting. And Yeah, yeah, but I mean, uh, guys were trying. So, But I tell you, Trent's, that bow's a, it's a good bow. And, and again, like, gun to my head, like, I think Widow and I are just stuck at the hip for together. And I'm shooting a ton of different bows right now. And I, I shoot, I'm shooting a Satori riser and a DOS riser and a WF-19 right now, um, with several different types of limbs on an ILF. But my wife constantly reminds me, like, you look better in a Widow. She's pretty funny about that shit, right? So I. <laughs> <laughs> See, my wife doesn't know that she just calls them pretty sticks. There's, you left pretty sticks laying in the dining room, right? So they all look the same to her, luckily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and again, uh, Toby and the crew at Widow, uh, Trent and, uh, his only crew, which is Trent, uh, you know, with Wingard, Bob Lee. That's another bow. Actually, I didn't, I don't bring up the, as much as I should. The Bob Lee makes a great bow. Um, you know, for me, a lot of guys like, um, uh, the feeling of the, the Bob Lee, uh, again, I, I don't know if stacks the right word, but to me, it stacked just a little bit on the couple that I had, but I'd recommend a Bob Lee at any time. They make an uh, unbelievable bow. And then obviously stalkers, another one I've shot quite a bit, um, you know, that I've had, uh, you know, good luck with, but I mean, the Tolkien, what is that, that takedown system, Aaron, that Bob Lee has? Mm. Blake's, 
like the, the hardcore. Uh, yeah, hardcore. That that adds a lot of value to that bow because it puts weight in the ends. And I think that's why it shoots so well. So I, I need to get one of their bows, but if I get it, it'll have that takedown system and it adds mass in the right spot. Yeah, I had to modify that grip for me, and I probably would have. And now Jake ended up with mine. Jake's a huge Bob Lee, uh, you know, dude now. And I don't, um, I, I kind of like with compounds, I- any of those bows, you're going to be able to go grab and shoot. For me, I just had to have modified grip. Um, you know, and I, it's funny, uh, I've seen some screenshots of guys that get pissed about the Snyder grip, like the old school guys. And I, it's like, guys, I don't. It's the grip that fit me. I'm sorry I'm not modeling after someone else. It's like I have a specific grip type that I like. And since there's a lot of compound guys coming over, you know, people will ask for the Snyder grip because of that, that reason. The, the key thing is, is repeatability. And those, those boyers were nice enough to build a, a grip for me. Um, but it, you know, you and I, I, I mean, we're not that far uh, off of what we like in a grip. I just don't like that lifeline. I like it a little more rounded. Right. Well, your bow rotates when you shoot it, right? Where mine jumps forward just because of alignment. It's weird. And you, I will say, even though I become accustomed to that and mine literally jumps forward and left every time, that is not good. I can repeat that. I've had no issues with that, but that is not something you want to strive for. You want that fucker to go straight forward. You do not want it to pivot to the left. Mine literally does a 90 degree turn. Um, the moment that the bow's fired. And it, it ends up being sideways to me when I'm done. And, and you can look at any slow-mo video. It does it every time. But that is not something you want to strive to. That's just something I was able to repeat and it's worked right. for me. You got to stick with what works. Yeah. So now let's go to the ILF bows. Um, you know, I recently um, started screwing around with, with multiple different risers, limb configurations. Um, right now, the, the number one or, or the the top three limbs that I have personally are a set of Urbis from, well, I have two sets of, I think it's called Urbis, but they're Uka limbs. Am I pronouncing that right? I-R-I-B-S or something? I have no idea. I avoid saying it in conversation, so I don't expose my ignorance. I know, right? So <laughs> that's the super, no what's the limbs, what are the limbs you have from Uka? I shoot their BX. You, you yeah, typically but, like the XX, which is a, a, a slightly milder, it's more aggressive than traditional limbs, but it's, it's less curvy than vx so the vx the urbis is the hunting version of the vx the double x is the equivalent to the vx as far as the target version uh just not with as much curve i have both of those limbs and then i have the carbon belos from uh hoyt and i've got multiple different sets of those um the bow i have set up right now to go on this mule deer and whitetail killing spree um, and this depends on if Widow gets me one time or not, is the um, uh, Hoyt Satori and the Urbis or the VX limbs. And then I have a DOS uh, with the same set of limbs on it. I have one set up with Revelations and another set up with Rampages. Um, the thing with the, if you're an anal retentive tuning guy, it is hard to argue that an ILF rig may not be for you because you are going to be able to torque and twist and and add and subtract in every part of that and change grips. Um, In in my case, I tiller tune a lot, and I like that option. I really like to screw around and micro-tune the rest. I have a springy rest from Norris Archery. You know, just it's it's pretty plain Jane, nut and a bolt, basically, in and out. 
Um, but you also, as, as Cody brought up, 40 bucks. You can put any grip on there you want. Those are all options that you don't have with a custom Boyer. And you're, you're way more into the, um, you know, the, the single string bare bow ILF stuff. So why don't you chime in on that? Uh, in terms of the, the grips available nope. or just the whole nine thing. yards, what the, what the pros and cons are to them. And then the riser length as well. Cause I shoot a shorter riser and a lot of people give me questions about that. I mean, the first thing that, that you're going to see when you, when you move to an ILF is to your point, you can change everything. And that is typically overwhelming, even for really good shooters. I remember when Blake uh, got his ILF rig, he was frustrated for several days because you have to go through everything and, and adjust it and find the find the sweet spots. After you've got a few of them dialed in, you kind of know where your tune needs to be, and it's more repeatable. But you can change everything from grips to tiller. Um, you get around 5 to 10% of change in poundage, so you can really uh, get that... Um, dialed into your preferences and more importantly you talked about the springy rest that you use there's there's a few different types of rest i don't think there's a great hunting solution on the market now which is unbelievable to me but springy is what i'll use or a t300 the biggest thing is you get to adjust your center shot and center shot is king when it comes to putting animals on the ground or, and getting an arrow to recover faster is, is what we're finding and I don't know if you saw that push video where they were they took a high speed camera and they were filming the different arrows coming out of the bows for the arrow study that I'm doing and those things were recovering in you know five yards you know it's almost immediate recovery whenever you can truly adjust your center shot to your own personal shooting and uh, I'll spend time on center shot because I think it's overlooked as a as a characteristic because there's a lot of value in it we all come off the string slightly different. Uh, if you come off the string heavy, you're typically moving that string away from your face, and you want to offset your arrow an equal amount so your arrow comes off of your bow straight, if that makes sense. You'll probably be able to explain this better than I. But if you don't have the ability to tune that and you come off the string a specific way, you have to change your entire release to make that bow shootable. Versus a metal bow, you can literally put some biter blocks on the limbs, get your string aligned, look down your, your arrow, and get your center shot set to your preference. And there's a significant difference in how a bow shoots for me personally if I run it straight down the middle or if I move it offset to the left or, or even too far to the right. And finding that, that clean release point on center shot is, um, is a really big deal. Uh, on top of that, you can add a plunger to, um, I guess you can add, you can add a springy to wood bows now. I've seen some threaded. You can add a plunger to a metal bow, which really acts as suspension on your arrow as it pushes up against the wall, and you can adjust that, that tension. You can do the same thing in a springy by changing the weights, but it's not near as um, clean as a uh, plunger. And a plunger is really going to save you on bad plucks. If you're a plucker like I am, and you get adrenaline dump, you're trying to put an arrow on, uh, in an animal, and you pluck, that plunger is going to save you from making a bad shot, whereas if you just had a stiff wall there, you would not. Outside of that, in the end, I think there's more value there just from a monetary perspective. You can buy, for example, a, you shoot a 17-inch riser, right? So it's very easy to get a 17-inch riser, a 19-inch riser, and a 21-inch riser. You're going to gain um, weight as you go down. So if you want to shoot a 3D rig, you could shoot a 21-inch riser with your BX, and you're going to gain, what is it, one to two pounds as you go down to a 17. You've got so you can shoot a lightweight hunting rig 
pick up your 17, have a shorter bow, and be at a higher poundage and have a, um, have a hunting bow that's ready to go. What you have to pay attention to, these limbs, most of these limbs, they're ILF, are designed to be shot off of a 25-inch riser. And they're also weighted to be shot off of a 25-inch riser. And there's a lot of bowyers in the metal world, and there's a lot of shooters that try to use a brace height that you would use on a 25-inch riser on like a 17. What you need to do, and I wasn't smart enough to figure this out on my own, I was taught this, what you need to do is you need to lower your brace height to take the preload off those limbs to find that sweet spot that they were designed to be in. If they're designed to be on a 25-inch riser like your UCAs are, and you put them on a 17, and you're running an eight-and-a-half, nine-inch brace height, you've got a ton of preload on those limbs. Versus if you lower that brace height to around seven-and-a-quarter to seven-and-three-quarters, you'll find the sweet spot in that draw curve where it'll be right at your draw line. Correct. And, and what one of the things <laughs> that I, I was going to bring up, and, and you talked about it there for a sec, when you go to order, like when I ordered the double uh, X limbs from uh, Lancaster, uh, from UCA, they were 48-pound limbs on a 25-inch riser. So on a 17-inch riser, they're actually 56-pound limbs, plus or minus, real close though. And But that is for the uh, VX and double X. If you go to order the... Um, Urbis from Three Rivers, I believe those are based off a 19-inch riser, the poundage. Um, don't quote me on that, but I think it's 19, not 17. You got to make sure when you're ordering limbs, because it can be a $950 fuck-up, what the poundage is based off, uh, based off of in accordance to the riser length, because you can, add, you can end up with some real heavy or some real lightweight limbs if you don't know what you're doing. So you want to make sure and double-check double, double check that. And, and when in doubt, call. Uh, both Three Rivers, uh, well, Three Rivers actually, um, Lancaster as well as Rocky Mountain, which are kind of the three main um, groups out there that, that I deal with as far as in the, the lower 48. Um, if you go, <laughs> well, as, a, as an example, I guess, um, right now, my 48 pound uh, limbs, like I said, are, are actually 56, which is what I, I wanted. I shoot, you know, that puts me closer to 60 at my draw length. When you go from, if you, if you have a 17, it's usually, one, it's usually one pound per inch under 25. Yep. And, and then it's also one pound um, per inch, uh, or excuse me, it's also uh, when you talk about draw length, every inch you add, you're going to be adding a couple pounds. Um, or, or you lose. And so those things that take into consideration. But as Cody was saying, if you wanted to shoot a 20, uh, a 48 pounds with a 25 inch riser and then you wanted to hunt with those same limbs, you could shoot 56 pounds out of a 17, two risers, one set of limbs and just swap back and forth. Um, is, is an option. Um, anyway, right now, um, what, what would you say hunting wise, uh, preference for people? What, what risers should people be looking at right now? Um, uh, if they're wanting to get an ILF rig for, for hunting, what, what risers would you suggest? Um, so it's going to real fast. We move on. So I don't want to move a point. One other point on the ILF, Aaron, is you can add a lot of mass to it and you can add the mass where you want. And, and i you and I run different mass, have different preferences. Can you, can you go through that real fast before we move into? Yeah. For so it's sacrilegious to put weights on a riser I've found in the traditional archery community, which to me is a little bit strange. Now, I like a heavier 
uh, a heavier bow, you know, personally. But as I say that, I shoot a 17-inch Satori or DOS riser, which are relatively light. I just throw a big-ass chunk of weight on the front of mine. And then there's also Stoker makes, um, I don't know what the hell that thing's called. Uh, Jesus Christ, what, you use it. What the hell's the name of that weight yeah, system? I don't know. The name escapes me, but it, it has lateral adjustment. Yeah, lateral adjustment, and you can add weights to either side, and you can move it side to side. So, you know, for for me, I like a heavier bow, but I just chunk a bunch of weight on the riser, and I don't uh, mess with it as much. The mass weight of a bow, even though you may like carrying a lightweight bow, you're going to shoot a heavier mass weight bow better. Um, and I don't That's think like, that can be whether it's metal or wood. Right. Yeah, that doesn't matter. Now, whether you like packing it to the top of the mountain. Depends. I will reach out and touch something. I'll, I'll stretch it out and, and I'll shoot 40 yards. I want to be the most accurate as I can. I don't mind lugging around a little bit heavier bow. I used to pack around a 13 pound compound. So carrying around a five and a half pound, six pound stick bow doesn't, doesn't bother me. With the ILF bows, you can add weight mostly to the front or the back of most models. You can add weight to the side on some. You can do a lot of different things that will help your consistency and, and, you do that. You you mess with it more than I do. Yeah, I've messed it mess with it to failure. Um, I've become much more simplistic because what works in the backyard doesn't obviously work in a tree. But I, why I found that I typically like to add a little bit of weight um, in the bottom. I use a Yoast weight that I can offset. The one reason why I love the WF19, it has weight built in in the limb pockets, weight forward, and that's a very difficult bow to to torque. The moment of inertia there is just is designed really really well. So that's, that's one of the other benefits of ILF is you can put weights all over it and you can design that uh, to feel how you want it to feel or behave, how you want it to behave, even up to the point of adding stabs, which I no longer hunt with a stab, but uh, for quite a while I did. So uh, your question before I changed that was uh, what, I, what I suggest in terms of length, right? Well, length and overall just uh, manufacturer. Um, what length and okay. then what, what are good risers to look at? Um, you know, and I'll list off mine when you're done. Yeah, I, so what I personally shoot, it, you opened with this, and, it, and I think it's really important because I don't want to influence, I don't want to influence anybody. I want people to be able to influence themselves. I shoot a DOS 21 because I've shot a DOS 21 since Masters of the Barabow 3. And it's just something that I'm, I'm accustomed to, and I, I know how to tune that bow, I know how to shoot that bow, and I, I have confidence in it. It's not something I can quantify and I certainly wouldn't say it's better than anything else. It's just something I've shot for a long time, and um, and I've run it. And it's the same thing for I run an Arrowmaster Quiver. That's circa 2008. It's just what I'm accustomed to and what I prefer. So I prefer a longer bow for reasons I spoke of earlier. I like a 66-inch bow because I can set a fixed crawl, and I can I can adjust that without changing the tune of the bow, and it's pretty forgiving. And longer bows are forgiving overall. Um, I think when you interviewed me last year at the beginning of the year, I would have told you that 66 is the only way to go. I've been hunting all year now, and I would tell you that is not the case. So if I can get away with it, I run 66. More often than not, I find myself going to a 60-inch bow because I'm finding myself in blinds or in situations where I need a shorter bow. So I usually will bring, uh, on a hunt, I'll bring a 66 and a 60. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the KB I ordered 60 inches, and I, I wanted a wood bow that will shoot wood arrows in a blind so it really depends on what you're what you're doing if i'm going to southwest texas with top of texas with scotty on a mule deer hunt i'm going to have a 66 inch bow 
I'm going to have a forgiving bow that has mass at the 6 o'clock position, and it's going to be long. Um, if I'm going to be hunting in Texas and I'm in a blind, I'm going to have a shorter bow. And what I do when I run a 17 is I just add, I add more mass to it to try to give me – I'm not going to be walking around. I'm obviously in a blind, so I pile some weight onto that riser to give it, give it a little bit more forgiving. In, uh, in, terms, in terms of brands, I shoot the DOS because I've shot it for so long. Um, quantifying that across a Hoyt Satori or um, any other brand would be a little bit different. It is easy to quantify CD archery riser because it's so heavy and it's weight forward and you can shoot and feel the difference. Um, I, and uh, it also likes ILF longbow limbs. You can shoot recurve or longbow out of it. So if you're not hiking very far and you're comfortable, that mass definitely adds value. But uh, for flexibility, I typically go with the DOS. I'm a big Hoyt fan. I actually collect, I have most of the old Hoyt metal risers from the early 70s to now. So I'm probably their biggest critic. And um, I don't shoot the Satori right now. I'm shooting the DOS. The Satori, I'd have to change. I have to change the grips, and I have to change a few things. And I just, I guess, I stick with the DOS because I've I've shot it for so long. I can't really quantify it. Well, and, and they're all good. I, I I would say um, Bivouac Bow Company makes a 15 inch uh, riser that kind of caters more towards hunters. Um, he makes several different limbs. That's a, a a riser I've recently tried. I like a 17 to 19 inch riser myself, but that that you know that shorter riser. If you're into a shorter, stealthier kind of a brick shed house bomb proof uh, riser or bow setup, that bivouac's a good one. Um, I have uh, the Satori and the DOS 17 setup right now. I don't see a difference between the two. Uh, I had to you know grip wise, obviously I changed the grips on both, but. Uh, pretty much infinite adjustability on both. The DOS is a little more plain Jane looking compared to the Satori. Both are great options. The WF-19 is probably the most forgiving out of the hunting bows I've shot. Definitely the most consistent. It is a little bit heavier. You could beat a grizzly bear to, to death with that thing. But it, it's, I don't mind carrying it. I've actually set it up more for tournaments myself with a little or poundage and I'm actually shooting 500 spine, uh, PS-23s out of it just to set up for, for tournaments. Now, you know, when, when, when guys are asking about, let's say, upgrading, um, you know, getting started, like we've talked about, once you figure out roughly, if you're a hunter, I think 17 or 19 inch, you're not going to go wrong with that. Uh, one of those two, if you're in that, oh, I would say 27 and a half inch to 29, 29 and a half inch, maybe even 30, but you're pushing it draw length at 30 where you are going to want to go up. Um, but a, a roughly 29 inch draw, 17 to 9 inch riser, 17 to 19 inch riser, you're going to be fine with a 29 inch draw. I go with a shorter riser and longer limbs for a 62 inch bow. I like those limbs to open up a little bit more. Again, I don't know if I can quantify that helps, but in my mind, it seems to get a little more speed. Um, and, and, and I've gotten comfortable with it. When I've tested it, I shot like a PSA, um, you know, forever. And then I, I also shot, um, a Pete, what is it? The PSH, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The shorter one. Anyway, I didn't see any speed difference. Maybe a second, right? I, I don't yeah. know that. I tested, I tested PA against PMA and I thought the shorter bow would be faster and that there's no, there's no difference. Yeah. I, I've even, yeah. You can take a shooting machine and shoot them at 27, 28, 29 and 30 inch. You can certainly see a climb, but it's very linear. So I, I don't know about the limbs. I know a lot of boaters talk about limbs opening up. I haven't been able to quantify that in any way. Yeah, and 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 again, uh, I talked about this in the beginning. 
some of this is bro science and what's in my mind. And now that it's in there, I really don't want to change it, but I, right. <laughs> I, I don't know. Right. I don't know that it matters. Cause, confidence matters. Well, no, it, 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 it does. Um, on that, on that note, um, cause I got to take a pee break and I'm going to have you kind of carry on talk about, which is what I was leading up to, whether you get a 17, 19 or 21 inch riser, if you're a newcomer, an ILF riser is relatively inexpensive. If you want to put cheap limbs on that thing getting started, you can do that with an ILF riser and upgrade limbs from there. You want to talk about some of the, the actual quantifiable differences you found in some of the lower end to higher end limbs, what you're going to benefit from uh, while I'm, I'm off the mic? So in, terms of, in terms of riser length, I think the 17 is, is probably one of the more popular. 19 is, is considered the compromise. If you're wanting to, to save money and you're wanting to you're wanting a bow that will do it all, the the twenty one is a bow you can go from a hunting and a tree stand to a three D range and, and be competitive in a three D range. Uh, we've got uh, we've got folks that are right now uh, winning and getting on the podium with sixty six inch bows and twenty one inch risers. Uh, the WF nineteen is probably one of the best, if not the best, nineteen because it has that weight. So it's again hunting bow, and it can also be a 3D bow. You can shoot that bow with precision. When you start getting down into the 15-inch bows, you really should be looking at extra, extra long, longbow limbs, and it's kind of limiting. Um, the biovac that he's discussed is also very similar to the DX5, um, and uh, they don't have as much deflex, but you're getting into more of a, a niche market there. As you move into limbs, you can, and I tell people this all the time, you can pick up a riser and go get $250 WNS Elite lens. They're rebranded SF Elite. And do the old Camaro Primer Gray paint job, rattle can them, and you've got yourself a great set of lens. Um, I think it was three years ago, Dwayne Martin podiumed at Lancaster indoor shooting SF Elite $250 lens. So, I mean, the limbs are today available at a low price that give you a lot more performance and consistency than you got just five to ten years ago. So going in with cheap limbs that have those loud graphics on them, just get your rattle can out, scuff them up, paint them over, and, and beat the heck out of them, and they're tough as nails. I've personally dry-fired SF Elites, restrung them, and they just shoot over and over and over. They're very, very tough. I probably have three or four sets of that WNS Elite limb. If you go up one level, that's probably the $400 price range. It's going to be very, very difficult to beat the, the UCA EX1. And when I say very, very difficult, I don't, that's not an opinion. I've tested all of these. In terms of sound, speed, and draw force, the UCA EX1 is, is, um, is, offers a lot of value for what you get out of that limb. You'd have to spend seven, eight hundred, actually nine hundred dollars to beat it. Um, you can spend seven hundred dollars on other limbs and not come close to it in terms of draw force and speed. Uh, Aaron mentioned the Hoyt limbs that he's using now. Those are significantly slower than the $400 UCA lens, and they don't have quite draw force. They're uh, 10 to 12 feet you know, slower. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I, I really can't justify moving to high-end lens unless I go to VX or, you know, something to that, to that level. The next level is going to be that $700 to $1,000 price range, and really for me, it's especially if you're a hunter, um, UCA, again, kind of stands out there. In terms of precision and feel and shootability, uh, in terms of 3D, I'm a big fan of MK limbs. They're 
whether it be their Zest or their old Rossi, those are very smooth, reliable limbs. But what I really like about ILF is guys can go get a riser. I think you should get a decent riser. You're going to wrench on this thing. You're going to beat the heck out of it. Cheap risers have cheap hardware, and, and you're going to hate that thing when it strips out on you. Get a good quality riser. It'll get $250 limbs. Better yet, find them used and spray paint them and, and go hunt and, and be very confident. Uh, one thing that you will see between that $200, $250 limb and the $800 to $1,000 limb, when you're ch- testing at 9 and 10, 11 grains per pound, you don't see a big difference at 9 grains per pound. When you start moving your arrow weight up into the heavier hunting weight arrows, the higher-end limbs start walking away from the lower-end limbs. There's a direct correlation between cost, and that's when you start seeing the, the efficiency start to show up. If you're just out there shooting 9 grains per pound or 10 grains per pound, you're really wasting your money going to a high-end limb. If on occasion you're moving up to the, the heavier arrows, it's definitely a good investment in my mind to, to go after those high-efficiency limbs like the UCA BX because I was shooting a 50-pound BX and uh, went on a bison hunt this year, and, and two of the three shots were pass-throughs. One was a quarter was back of the ribs through the front. So you're talking about four feet of buffalo that arrow was going through that barebow arrow. So they they have a lot of a lot of speed, and um, if that's what you're after, that's that's where you should spend your money. So I, and I agree with everything I heard when I came back, and that that was the one thing that I wanted um, get, you know people to think about. Now, if you did that with a custom wood bow, uh, and you start off with lower poundage, and then you uh, you know, go to higher poundage, you can always use your initial set of limbs for trainers. So let's say you started with 35 or 40. Uh, you get comfortable with that, and then you bump up to 50 or, or whatever. You can use that initial set as a trainer, and I highly suggest anyone to have lower set, uh, lower poundage set of limbs as a, as a trainer, especially with your release. The difference with the ILF is you can buy $250 limbs rather than $700 limbs, and then you can upgrade, you know, later if, if needed. You know, the, the thing you don't get with the the ILF riser, you, you don't have the, I don't know what you want to call it, the Fred Bear-esque, the, you know, the you're going up the woods, you against man, or, you know, man against animal with uh, feathers and shit and the wood riser. You don't get that with an ILF riser, and, and you're probably going to get made fun of uh, like I have. But an ILF riser is a very viable piece of machinery to to start with it, it is a good option yeah and 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 i'm the first to admit it i mean i i'm a big fan of wood bows i have a lot of wood bows. it's funny that people criticize me and i probably own 20 more wood bows than most people do um so i i own a lot of wood bows i love wood bows and uh, they inspire me to shoot a metal riser doesn't exactly inspire you to shoot you're not gonna be sitting in your tree stand when deer aren't moving staring at your metal riser going this thing's beautiful that's not gonna happen Fuck, go, that's funny. That is a very good way to put that, though. You're right. Yeah. So I still have a, a lot of passion for uh, wood bows, and there is something there that you're not going to get out of a metal bow. And there's a time for me. There's a time and place for, for each. And um, I I think that's because I'm pro metal riser doesn't mean I'm con wood bows. I probably I should have a routing number to Black Widow for Christ's sake, just to save money on the money exchange that we have. But they. Uh, there's a time and place for both, but if you if you want value, it's going to be it's there's it's it's a no-brainer 
the $250 limbs that are ILF will blow away a $1,200 custom wood bow in terms of performance. They're going to be ugly, and they're going to be, it's a cold bow, and it's not going to inspire you to shoot, but in terms of value and you learning and developing yourself, um, or if you really want to shoot with a little bit more precision or more tunability, it's, it's a no-brainer. But to me, they don't replace the wood bow at all. There's a time and place for both. Now, and it's funny you said that. My, uh, my photography of my bow has gotten down tenfold uh, after picking up a aluminum riser ILF bow because it's just not as cool as snapping a photo of green leaf or black and white ebony or, you know, and I'm not hacking on either. I shoot both and I don't give a shit. I mean, I, I just, uh, it's just not as pretty. It's not as cool looking. There's no way around it. Yep, And it's, and it's not as big of a challenge, but uh, it really isn't. It's an easier bow to shoot um, just because you can, you don't have to learn to shoot the bow. You can change the bow to shoot you. When you go wood, you need to you need to learn how to shoot that how that bow likes to be shot, right? Not all bows like the same finger tension, the same grip. They're all slightly different. You've got to conform around the wood. And when you develop that relationship with a wood bow, it's it's an awesome thing. Those guys that have really dialed into one specific bow, really, really cool thing, and you start racking up kills with it. Um, nothing can replace that. So there's again, there's time and place for, for each one. Yeah, I, and I definitely, you know, my obviously the I became real close. I killed a ton of stuff with a widow, um, and I, I just super forgiving. I'm comfortable with it. You know, I've I've shot unbelievably with this current setup I have now, um, but you know, it's always in the back of your mind, like the wood bow or the more custom bow or whatever. What when I'm having widow do now is build me a hybrid. I'm having to make me a a G10 riser with some prototype carbon limbs and I, I've got it cut out at the the shelf uh, way past center so I can put a springy on it. So I'm kind of having to make me a, a hybrid right now. That's going to be a shooter. Yeah, it'll be interesting what how people like it, um, you know, or what people think of it or if the widow gets hate mail at all about building me it or whatever because uh, it's definitely more of a happy medium. It's, it's actually kind of like the Bob Lee hardcore. There's not really a chunk of wood on that Bob Lee hardcore um, but you also, it also has the look of more of a, um, you know, a custom bow and it's also bomb proof and beefy as hell. So, you know, kind of a pros on both the, the carbon thing. I'm not even sure I'm supposed to talk about it. They've been messing around. Widow has with carbon limbs. So I'm excited that the, the, the current set I have now stability, um, and recovery is significantly in, in a significant improvement in comparison to their, their other high level limb. It, 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 is way more stable and it recovers uh, twice as fast, if not more, on on slow mo video. You just don't get that limb uh, flip forever. It, it just it stabilizes super fast. I think that's going to be a definitely going to be a shooter. And again, it's, it's a step away from the all wood, but I'm in place. So I, in summary, because I know we're going to end soon, I think we all align that deflex in terms of characteristics if you're looking online and you're trying to pick a bow out you can't go we can't go pick these up at bass pro so a lot of people have to shoot have to purchase these blind i always say look for deflex mass and center shot what 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 characteristics do you look at yeah same thing um you know and that's obviously you know whether the customer service and all that type of stuff is good bad or indifferent to to get down the to get to the first three, the final three for me to start picking the exact same three things you look at. And and I think that really should be just about the same for everyone. Um, 
I mean, standard, right? So if yeah. if we say that and we agree to that, because the next question, because we skipped we skipped longbows, but one thing that's worth saying, because it's going to come up, I'm going to get the question. You are too. A lot of guys that come out of compounds want to go to longbow because they are more trad. They really are. They're they're, they're cool. I love longbows. I have a ton of them. They're quieter. But if we all agree that mass and deflex and center shot make for an easier bow to shoot, and we all also have to agree that longbows are more difficult to shoot than recurves. And, and there's a myth right now. The average opinion is the, is the opposite. I think it's because people quote Howard Hill when he said that back in the 50s or whenever. But I'm from my experience and my testing, recurves are far more forgiving and easier to learn on than longbows. Would, would you say the same? Without a doubt. Uh, I, I like longbows. I have a lot of them. And uh, but if you're when you're shooting a riser that's straight up and down, you, you're getting a more critical riser to handle. And and longbows have come a long way recently, but I know that question will come up. Oh yeah, for sure. And I I haven't messed with longbows that much for what you just explained. It's just not something I want to. I just don't want to deal with it right now. It's just not not something I want to mess with. I have enough trouble. Uh, filling tags with a recurve that I'm extremely comfortable with and accurate with. Um, you know, I'm not going to go to a longbow or an atlatl or anything like that right now, maybe later. And there are people that are extremely comfortable with longbows. It's just not my, my cup of tea right now. It, it, it's funny because I'm, I'm on, I just got off this hunt with Rough Creek Outfitters and Derek's a great guy, but he's not used to trad guys. Right. And, you know, I come off my sit and he's like, well, how'd it go? I'm like, Oh, I had, to, had a shooter 18 yards away. He's like, well, what's the problem? <laughs> like they, like to them, there's like I'm like, well, I have to stand up and draw my bow. I can't like draw my bow when I see him 50 yards away. I, and there were six or eight does around him. And it's just funny. I don't think people realize the gap between compound and recurve. And I'm with you. Why make it harder? Well, and I, you know, for, for example, you know, 40 yards is is about my, um, you know, my distance as far as I'll, I'll I'll reach out and touch something, maybe 45 on an elk or something, and which is relatively far and I've gotten criticized over that um but you know yesterday in about three minutes I grabbed a compound with new arrows and literally was shooting softballs at 80 and 90 yards at my elk target I mean that's a par three for a stick bow in the right conditions it's just different I mean there's, there's just no yeah. I mean just, it's not just speed you've got to so I was telling these outfitters that aren't used to recurve guys, they get frustrated because you you have to draw that bow while the animal's right in front of you, and that's that's probably one of the trickier parts. So it was just funny dealing with him because you know he hadn't dealt with trad hunters much. You, you can sense the frustration. They're like, are you going to send an arrow today? I'm like, yeah. If a, if a blind butt shows up, I will. Oh yeah, I mean, it yeah it uh, it is what it is, and I don't want neither one of us are painting this dreary picture on on shooting a stick bow it's just you are going to have to potentially sit longer um you're going to have to you know be more patient you're going to have to pass up animals that you might not normally need to pass up and that's just you know part of it and, and in fact like on my my recent elk hunt um some guys brought up does it make you want to grab a compound and because i i had a big bull at like 48 yards the first morning and i mean a really big bull and you know, at no time was I, do I ever think, man, not now anyway, that wish I had my compound. I mean, people ask, and I'm like, well, yeah, I, I you know, could have shot one. But, you know, I like the, the challenge. But, uh, you know, so there is sometimes where it does push the limits of, you know, I'm ready to snap something over my knee because, you know, you work for four hours to get inside of 40 yards. And, you know, 
just doesn't pan out because you you have handicapped yourself a little bit with this the stick bow and there are other times where i certainly would choose the stick bow over a compound especially close quarters um yeah i agree and, and but i i always remind people of that when they're choosing to cross over like take it you definitely want to get to that level where you're shooting all you know wood arrows wood bow total trad i i i'm all for that but there's a there's a transition to get there and making it too hard up front is almost insured I'm a dedicated trad guy, have been for four or five years, and I still have probably been on 15 or 20 hunts this year, and I, I go home with my head in my hands quite a bit. You don't, you know, you only see on Instagram when we're successful, you don't see the eight hunts prior to that where we get skunked. No, I mean, I just, I just had it happen on an elk hunt, and, and, uh, it, I mean, I did have a lot of opportunities. I passed up a lot of, you know, smaller bulls. I wanted to shoot a, a big bull, and yes, I would have killed one with a compound, but, I really just, that was my goal. I really wanted to shoot one with a, you know, a stick. And I actually had a lot of people say thanks for telling the whole story. We only see successes. And if you pick up a stick, you need to get used to some failures, especially if you don't put the effort into to shooting one. So when people ask me about elevated rests or ILF risers or carbon arrows, and I mean, take every advantage of it you can. And once you get to a level where you're you're consistently taking down animals and you're confident by all means start hacking away some of that technology but you know to you know build a you know the bow out of a tree in your front yard and shit i wouldn't do that out of the gate unless you're just out there to bow hike i mean you might kill something but um you might you want to start off with i think every advantage you can get and then and then kind of wean yourself off from there right it's randy randy cooling didn't become randy cooling in five hunts right he's that's one of the few guys that travel the world and hunt with stick bows and, and and he's willing to take it on the chin when a hunt doesn't go through and that's that's really what it's all about. But I don't want to talk it down too much because the reward you're a much bigger part of your shot. And hunting become for me becomes more about the psychological side of hunting and holding yourself together and I think it's awesome. I would never go back to a compound. It's definitely worth the the transition. But a little bit at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, I, I agree. Um you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, it's so much more rewarding, uh, for me when I, when I get an animal with, uh, with the stick in comparison that it was with the compound, it, it's worth it. It's, it's, yeah. Sometimes I think on my watch, I put on 43 or 49,000 steps that, that one day when I finally, uh, shot my, my owl dad. Um, it, it's just a matter of a lot of stocks lot of failed ones and then just keep going and have a short-term memory um try to forget otherwise you're gonna get depressed that's right you know i expected you to convert joe i, I listened to that and i'm like he joe's gonna come out of this because he's all about the the challenge and the mental side i'm like joe's gonna come out of this shooting a recurve you know you, you didn't switch him no he told me beforehand there's no way in hell he's gonna do it i just um you know some people time-wise and everything else they're just um they like the idea of it but they just don't have enough time to put put into it i'd say he probably falls in that category that dude's busier than any one of us all of us combined but well man we're hitting almost an hour and a half here i'm gonna get you back on to talk about some of the other bro science um things string materials that's one thing arrows arrow builds uh components broadheads a lot of the things you're you and i are working on parallel without even talking to each other or finding out um kind of nail all that down in a podcast here in a few few weeks if you're cool with that cool yeah i've got a lot of stuff coming together so uh, that it should be interesting 
Cool. Well, man, I, I appreciate uh, appreciate you hopping on. Congratulations with all your, your hunts and success this year. Yeah, it's been a, been a big learning curve. I appreciate it. Let me get my, get my plug out there before you ditch me. I, I'm starting wood arrows or footing wood arrows with hardwoods, and uh, that Instagram's Greenwood Arrows, and we're probably going to launch in the next week or two. I think I sent you some pictures of some of them that, I'm, that we're building. And um, then the regular Trad Lab is the Trad Lab. But um, I think uh, most of the questions folks had, you get them in your Q&As, and there's a lot of repeats. I feel like we covered a lot of them here, so it should be a value add. I hope so. It'll Hopefully it'll limit my uh, question answering uh, some, and people can just I can send them over here to listen to this. So, Well, cool, man. Well, good luck on your next hunts. I'll stay in, in contact with you, and, yeah, we'll get you back on in the next few weeks. Yep, sounds great. All right, take Thanks it easy. A lot.